This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. The galaxies we hear, the we've Slow down, I can see you're so sincere. Welcome back to another episode of Tell Me This. I am Kara Borkowski and I'm here with Brianne Ruse and we are super excited that Dr. Lisa Mitchell, I had to get that in there, Lisa. Dr. Lisa Mitchell has come back to join us. She was here last spring, If for those of you who are listening to season one. And we're just so thrilled to have you here. Hello, Lisa. Hi, thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. I was saying before we started recording that we should have been recording because we were having a hilarious conversation about Lisa has been really busy at home building igloos instead of doing the work that is required of her. So maybe we'll hear my ample free time. (laughs) Yes, free time. That's right. That's right. So we'll hear more about that maybe later. So so Lisa is um, really a superstar. Um, I don't know that I need to say any more than that, but I'll give you um, if you didn't have a chance to listen to the podcast from last spring, I would recommend that you listen. But just as a review, Lisa is the director of education and audience engagement at Disney Theatrical Group. She engages with students, teachers and audiences through Broadway performances and student driven productions. She also created Disney Disney musicals in school which is an international initiative that develops sustainable theater programs in under-resourced public schools. She and her team has served over 50,000 students to date. Wow, that's a lot of students, it's amazing. She serves on several boards related to the arts and I know Lisa and Brianne knows Lisa from, um, Brianne and Lisa were actually classmates in their doctoral program and I was lucky enough to have Lisa in a couple of courses and things like that. So yeah, so she got her Ed D from Johns Hopkins and she specialized in entrepreneurial leadership. So again, Lisa, welcome. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And yeah. it's great to be on the other side of this. I know that's right. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's right. <laughs> Both of you are officially doctors now, which is so awesome. So, and Brianne and I really appreciate you taking time out to have a cup of hot chocolate and take a break from your igloo building. I know we'll, we'll try not to keep you too long so you can get back to that. I have very serious work to get to Carrie. Yes, you do. And I'm just warning my audience, our audience that perhaps that you could turn this podcast into a drink game because we're going to figure out how many times we can say igloo during this podcast just to keep it interesting. So we'll see how I'm that goes. I'm never going to live it down. <laughs> Probably no. not. So, nope. but that's how we just roll in these relationships, right, Lisa? So. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. So as is customary with the, um, the, the conversations we've been having this past fall and into the winter, Lisa, we really just want to check in. You know, if, if you didn't know it, we're in the middle of a pandemic. 
um, hopefully at the tail end of this pandemic. And so Brianne and I would love to hear how you're doing, how your daughter's holding up, how your family's holding up. Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, it's funny. I feel like the answer to that question sort of changes not even day by day anymore, but like truthfully minute by minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm definitely feeling like it is February in a pandemic in the Northeast, like the sun going down at four o'clock doesn't help. It's been a year, over a year since I've seen my family. Um, so, you know, in some ways, I'm like all of us, I'm very, very over it. In other ways, I feel very, very privileged because I am still working and I'm still working in the arts and I'm still working in arts education. And I, I feel a great responsibility and a great privilege for getting to do that work and to keep things kindling so that we can get more kids on school stages when this, this nightmare ends. Um, on the home front, we're just trying to focus on what we're grateful for. <laughs> um, which is, you know, we've got some outdoor space that we can play in, hence the various snow-based activities that I've been up to. And, you know, we're fortunate that my, my daughter is an in-person school right now, and that's been going well, knock on wood. So um, just trying to focus on what's good, because there's a lot in the world that isn't great. So what yeah. can you do about that? Not much, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that you were willing to share the Igloo story, because I feel like oftentimes when, you know, we get on a Zoom, whether it's you and I or with our students, that sort of how are you doing question is just very different these days, right? It, it sort of used to be a question that you just sort of move through quickly and now you're going to get the real deal. Like if they're having a lousy day, they'll they'll let you know. <laughs> so I was happy 100%. that I was happy that we were able to get on and we were able to laugh and, and share that moment. So that was good. So absolutely. I was just um, teaching before I hopped on this call earlier today and I asked the students, how were they? And we were, it was an online class. So they put in the chat words like stressed, overwhelmed, anxious. Um, and I said, all right, but those are words that I would hear on week five of sort of any semester. So how does this one differ? Like, let's unpack those words a little bit. And then we had a conversation. <laughs> it was like, and this and this and this, and it was all super legitimate. But um, Carrie, you're so right that when you ask, how are you? It's definitely a, uh, it's a big question if you really want to hear the answer. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I did a, I did a, um, I had a sync session last night with some students and I did a, um, a check-in where I asked them if you could put a saying inside a fortune cookie and we would sell a million of those, what would it be? And it was really clear that we're in a pandemic because it was, mm -hmm. I am enough. I'm doing the best. We're doing the best we can, you know, like those kinds of, which I actually think, you know, I mean, this pandemic is lousy. Let's, let's just be honest, but I actually also really appreciate that we have found some honesty and authenticity with each other that I actually find really refreshing. Um, I get that this is hard. I totally get that. And I'm not discounting that, but I appreciate the, the honesty. So, so yeah. hundred yeah, percent. And it relates, it relates to belonging so much too, like to your point, Brianne, like the, the responses we get, whether it's in a class setting or for me in, in the workplace, I, there's more integration of the personal and the professional or the personal and the academic, right? Because there, there are no more boundaries. <laughs> we're, we're all our <laughs> full selves and the space is the space that we're in. And because of that, you know, I feel like on some levels, I've gotten to know folks that I've worked with for 15 years on a personal level so much more over a Zoom screen in the past, you know, coming up on a year now than I have in the, in the prior 14 years. So I don't know. I mean, I, to borrow a term from, from our Hopkins studies, um, Brianne and Carrie, 
I don't know that there's any silver linings in the pandemic when, when so many people have lost their, their lives and there's been such devastation economically, but I do think there are unintended outcomes, right? Yeah. And in looking at those unintended outcomes, I think there's something we can carry with us in the future, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't um, I haven't said this out loud on the podcast, so I'm feeling brave today. So I'll say it. I'm actually writing a book um, with some help from Brianne and others. And one thing that I've been writing about in the book is just that, Lisa, is this notion that I hate the phrase silver lining because I don't like to think about something difficult, creating some, you know, some silver lining. And and what I've tried to to articulate is that but what we can do is we can find gratitude. Like there are places where it's it's gratitude for being able to connect with the person or laugh about igloos. Like, let's be honest, like that feels good, right? And yep. the pandemic can be lousy, but I can still be authentically glad to be with the two of you right now. So yeah, so I appreciate you saying that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Lisa borrowed some terms from, from Hopkins and I'm gonna lean on that a little bit and say that, Carrie's a methodologist and Lisa's teaching this semester as well. So, you know, before we go too further, too much further in our conversation about belonging, I think we need to define our constructs, right? So, yes. Um, <laughs> Lisa, when you were on previously with Carrie, she was asking you about belonging and you shared some of your early experiences in theater, I think, and where you found belonging there when you were younger. A lot has happened. I'm not calling you old, but a lot has happened in the world <laughs> since then. Um, and a lot has happened in the world, even just since that interview. So I'm kind of wondering how your concept of belonging has changed or has it kind of, how would you define belonging these days? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think I'm not sure because it feels like a blur, but I think the last time I answered that question, I said something about like being able to be your full self, right? In, a, in an environment or with people, which is not an original idea. There's been lots of folks who have studied this and that's sort of how they, how many have defined it. And I think for me, what's shifted is the sort of nuance in that, right? When I think about like, what are the, what are the elements of my identity, right? I'm a woman and I'm a woman with a young child. I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm an, an arts professional. I'm an igloo builder, right? Like mm -hmm. these, are, these are elements of my identity. <laughs> Um, and some of them are immutable and some of them aren't. And when I think about now, what does belonging mean? It's the sort of nuance within those things, right? Like I'm actually not okay today, or this thing has been dragging on for, I really miss, I miss seeing my family outside of a zoom screen. I do. Right. And I think those are the things, um, that I'm now appreciating mean that mean being my full self in a space. Like, can I tell someone that? in a professional context or, mm -hmm. you know, in a group of people, can that be present? Can I carry that into the space with me or can I not? And sometimes that's the difference between a true sense of belonging and not. Do you think it's we been, just, do you think the pandemic has made it more possible to, to, to belong, to feel that belonging or create, cultivate that belonging in these spaces, Lisa? I think it's sort of, um, destigmatized hmm. a lot of what is and isn't professional in a way like that like the the types of conversations I have whether it's in, in my place of work or just in other professional spheres that I'm in integrate more personal detail than they ever would previously and not just on me but like the folks I'm speaking with as well and I think it's because there's nowhere to put that stuff anymore. Mm. There's no, there's no door to leave it at. <laughs> yeah. 
my world for a door, you know, <laughs> my world for going into my office again and leaving it at the door, but there isn't. So it's just all ever present. Um, so for me, I think that's, it's been sort of destigmatizing in a way people are talking about their mental health more mm. in a way that I think is healthy and valuable. And I think we're all kind of like living in this awkward, what's oversharing and what's not moment yeah. when life is just ever present these days. Mm. It's so interesting that you say that because just having that conversation today, I could see that some students are okay with an honest answer and others are sort of testing, like, is it okay to say it? And then one student said, I'm just going to say it. I like, it's just so much. And I feel awful complaining, but I had to take a cold shower today because the water in one of the dorms keeps getting messed up. Like they had no water and then they had no hot water. And Mm. she's like, I wouldn't typically say these sorts of things. Like students don't usually come in and complain to faculty about the quality of their shower, right? <laughs> but um, that's sort of where we are with that yeah. those blurred lines, you know? Um, yeah. And it was, I think, a good conversation and we all ended up laughing and, and then kind of moved on, so. Yeah, I think yeah, that, I, I think what you said about nowhere to put it mm-hmm. is to me really powerful. I think what it made me think about Lisa and we should think more about this when we're through this pandemic is that there are a lot of students, kids, adults out there who never have a place to put it right Right. like even in the best of times without a pandemic and I think it's really important that we remember what that feels like and make sure as educators and parents and leaders that we're creating those spaces so that they feel like they have a place to bring it when they can't get away from it um yeah it's a real privilege it's a real privilege during a non-pandemic time that I have a place to like land that stuff. Right. Um, that's right. Being able to compartmentalize when you need to, and you're right, you know, for some folks who have trauma in their life outside of this collective experience, we're all going through that. That is something that's been present before and will continue to be present. Yeah, absolutely. Lisa, talk to us a little bit about kind of the practical. So maybe what was a typical day like in the fall, so 2020 versus 2021. Is there a difference for you? What does it look like moving further into the spring and maybe some healing? Yeah, it's um, it's sort of interesting because my, so I work for Disney Theatrical Group. So we're the Broadway pr- producer of the Walt Disney Company. So obviously Broadway isn't active right now um, until it's safe to get shows back on stages. But interestingly, I think by virtue of my experience and training as an entrepreneur and by virtue of what my function is at work, I've been in this sort of constant reinvent mode since the pandemic hit, right? So, okay. So, you know, my job is to work at the intersection of theater and education, but there's no theater right now and schools aren't in person right now. So, Hey, what are we going to do about that? Right. So it's been constant sort of like innovation uh, mode. And we've been able to do some cool things and to pivot into a virtual way just to keep relationships up, keep kids engaged, provide some level of access, et cetera. And so as we look ahead, I'm going to have to figure out how to continue to do that because that is a real need. The thing about our shared line of work for those of us on this screen is that our it's not a product, it's people, right? Mm -hmm. So if I don't do this, kids don't get access to theater. And that's what drives me is kids having access to the arts. So continuing to innovate so more kids get access to the arts while concurrently looking toward the future in which 
we reopen shows and reopen schools and figure out how to ease into the in-person programming that we did so well in the past, Mm -hmm. it's not going to just be flipping a switch, right? There's going to have to be a re-entry period for so many different ways from a public health point of view, from a staffing point of view, from a like school district to school district policy point of view. So I think what's going to shift for me is how do I keep that like innovative spirit, digital access thing going while also planning for this unknown future that we're all shaping together. Yeah. I I hope too. I wonder, Lisa, if you have any insight on this. I hope too that schools have the appetite for prioritizing things like theater when yeah. they, all you hear in the news is you know, the pandemic slide and the gaps that we're going to face. I don't, I'm not convinced by those arguments. I should go on record as saying, but I would just wonder what's the appetite for like in our school, they call them specials, right? Like music and arts and things. I just wonder, do you have any insights on what that might look like? Yeah, I'd say I have, I don't know if I have insights, but I think I, we've got some historical evidence that we can draw from. Right. And if we look at for example, the impact of No Child Left Behind, which sort of over-focused on mm. quote-unquote achievement for English language arts and math. Schools who didn't achieve in those had a disproportional amount of their instructional time and finances and et cetera put toward gains in those spaces mm. at the detriment of everything else. So that's why we saw the expansion of the access gap to the arts because mm kids who were quote unquote falling behind in those areas had their arts teachers taken away. Now we're looking at a same set of circumstances where kids are going to be perceived as falling behind because of this quote unquote pandemic slide and history could repeat itself unless we get ahead of it. Mm. So I think that teachers and parents and students We'll see the values in things like specials and arts education. I think we as a group of practitioners in this space need to get crystal clear on what our message is. Why is this important? Why is it more important now than ever? Is it because of the social emotional benefit of this stuff? Is it because of a sense of joy and community and healing, right? If we don't dilute the message as to why this is important, I think we stand a better chance of having it become the priority that we all know it is. But as soon as we start talking about, but you can also learn math, right? Through music. And you can also do this. Those are valuable things. We just have to kind of pick one and focus on it mm-hmm. um, so that we're really communicating why, why it's important that we withstand this thing. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. The messaging, it's always in the messaging, right? How you message something. <clears throat> it's funny because I'm notoriously said, I don't know if you've been listening this season, but we, we send our amazing guests uh, a list of questions and I'm notorious for going off script. So, <laughs> so here we go, just to give you a little bit of warning. And it <laughs> right. actually, it actually dovetails what you just said, which is like so cool and was not planned. And as you were speaking, I was thinking about the conversation that you and I had last spring because it was really about, if you remember, the pre-work and sort of the rehearsal and sort of I want what I've always loved. I mean, I love speaking with you because I think you're just super smart and you're so articulate. The other thing I've really loved is learning and hearing about your theater experiences and how so much of that theater training 
there are parallels in learning. And, you yes. know, you and I recently had a chance to teach, co-teach a, a class of PhD students about storytelling and writing a literature review. Like there were so many parallels. And so yeah. what you and I talked about last spring was thinking about cultivating belonging and sort of what you do as a director and, a you know, an educator to prepare the, 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 the kids to do this. And you were talking about all these amazing exercises you do to like make them feel like they belong in this space because the reality is especially for a kid like me having me stand up on a stage and do anything it doesn't matter what anything would be so vulnerable so sure. you have, right so you've got it so I feel like you know in terms of messaging and, and I'd love to hear your take on this I appreciate that the notion that like arts you know at the behest of math or science but like I think the message is arts because of arts, because like it cultivates belonging and it makes a kid stand in their truth on in the middle of a stage in front of a hundred people. And so, you know, if you could hold that thought for a second, my question is, have you noticed anything in, in the sort of theater world during this pandemic that you think, oh, we should be taking that and applying it to education, just like the pre-work and just like the storytelling, like what else can we learn from you and your amazing like team and people in that, in that space? Yeah, I think, I think there's so much to learn from, from the arts in general, I think from theater specifically as it applies to education. <clears throat> if you zoom out and you think about the process of putting on a show, right? You start with a group of people in a space that have a common goal. And by inevitably, by the end of the period, the rehearsal period, whether that's a week or six months, the goal is met. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this for a long time, seen a lot of jazz hands on a lot of stages. <laughs> I've never once shown up and, and not seen a story told, right? Mm -hmm. And when you think about what does it take to get a group of people to work together to tell a story, on stage for an audience and all of the transferable skills that happen through that process. I don't know why we don't take more of this sort of project-based approach to everything mm. we do in education because it's real. And if you want something to matter, make it real. It's very real to show up on opening night and have all the moms and dads and grandmas and uncles and cousins in the audience. It's a very real thing. It's not theoretical. It's not a fill in the bubble. You know, stepping onto that stage, if you're proud of your work, you know, stepping onto that stage, if you've contributed to something bigger than yourself mm -hmm. and along the way, you've learned confidence, you've learned the value of risk-taking. You've learned that sometimes you fall flat on your face, but if you're really in an ensemble, they're going to pick you right back up. They're not going to tease you for it. Yeah. Right. So all of these things we want to see in our schools, I feel like you can achieve them by putting on a show with kids right? There are other important skills that you need, but I do wish we'd have more, less of a linear approach to education mm -hmm. and more of a collective approach to, we're all going to work on this together. We're going to see where it goes, but I believe that we will get there. Right. Yeah. And the things that they deliver on are just remarkable. Yeah. If you, if you could build that out a little bit and I don't want to, you know, I'm sorry, I'm putting you on the spot, but I just am. Cause I know you're super smart and can, can handle it. I mean, you build igloos for goodness sake. So, um, <laughs> I told you I'm going to make this happen. Um, you know, if you had a group of educators, leaders sitting in an auditorium 
Um, and mm-hmm. with all your experience as a director and, you know, director of plays and musicals and programs, like what would be small steps, right? That like, what would be sort of your top two or three, if you do this, this is moving you in the right direction. Like what kinds of things would you be telling people or, or giving, you know, if you were giving advice, if you will. Yeah. In terms of, of ensuring that they have a culture of this sort of work at their school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it sounds so clinical, but I think one of the most important things is space and time to do the work. Yeah. If you do not give people space and time to do the work, they cannot do the work. And the thing about teachers, especially teachers in public schools, is they will do anything to give their students opportunities to thrive. So they will work within a scarcity of space and time to make it work anyway, and then they burn out. And then they go somewhere else or go to do something else. If we can just figure out how to give teachers space and time to let kids paint a picture or sing a song or learn an instrument or debate, then we will be doing right by them. It shouldn't be something, in my opinion, that is voluntary and after school. We should Mm -hmm. value this stuff. The act of putting on a school musical is Herculean in effort for teachers. Yeah. It's it it takes so much work. And it's equally valuable for students. Yeah. Because it's an exercise in learning and learning how to be yourself and learning what it is to be a good person and learning what it is to be a good collaborator and finding confidence and voice and finding your own opinion on something. Learning how to speak up, learning how to have an idea and try it out and see if it works and if it doesn't try again. Like there's so much benefit to this. Can they book the auditorium for 90 minutes on Thursdays? Like we got to let them do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So that would be step number one. Okay. Like the system has to be in place, I think. Yeah. And then step number two is um, you sort of can't teach someone to make art unless you are willing to make art yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be expert in it because I think there is creativity and artistic talent in all of us. I think it's one of the things that makes us innately human, Mm. but you do have to make art alongside with your students, right? You can't like sit in the front row and tell them where to stand. You got to get up on that stage. You have to be willing to help them figure out where to move and how to project. You have to be a maker in order to be a teacher of it. So if there's some professional development or time and space, just allow educators um, room to experiment with their own creativity and artistry. I think that's also an important foundation. Yeah. You've clearly never seen me draw a picture. If you think I know, I'm like, oh, God, I don't know where that is. I'm maybe like, she can well. find it for me. <laughs> I'm going to try igloo building. Maybe that's it. I just, when I draw a picture and Sarah goes, my daughter goes, mm, what is that? <laughs> yeah, maybe, but you can tell a story like nobody's business. No, right? That's true. You are a good storyteller. No, that's nice. true. skill set and and creativity are very different things and just like finding what your modality is is half the battle absolutely but lisa i do like you i feel like you were speaking our language a little bit there with your second point um and that is that you know teachers have to be learners right and yeah i think just i've never done anything theatrical really but um when you were speaking i was like oh i think you're totally right you know this idea of just acknowledging that you don't know and getting in the trenches and walking that together and being vulnerable with our students, regardless of the stage, so to speak, is powerful. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool. And it's cool to watch young, because that's a big focus of my program, right? Our Disney Musicals and Schools program. We we help schools start their theater programs, but to do that, we train teachers how to do it, mm-hmm. right? 
And so one of the best things about that is at the end of the process is chatting with the, the young people, the students and saying like, what are some of your big takeaways? And they, they inevitably always say two things. One is that they make friends with students in other grades because it's, um, it's typically after school and it's open to like all third through fifth graders. So there's someone who was born six months after them who they otherwise would never know who they are now like taking creative risk with and like finding commonality with. So that's one is that this sort of like, um, like age cohorts are sort of busted open in the program, which is cool. But the other thing that they inevitably say is that they see their teachers differently. Mm. They're like, when we started this program, you know, Miss Ruse was our social studies teacher, but now she's our choreographer. Mm. And it's cool to be in social studies and be like, I want to see her for dance practice after school. They just start seeing their teachers as a bit more human and a bit more rounded and a bit more capable of multiple things, which I think is a really powerful message for kids. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, I think both of those takeaways, the the space and time feels like intentionality to me, right? That you're willing to carve out and invest that time. And I love the learner. You may, as you were talking, you made me think of um, Parker Palmer and the courage to teach. And in, and when he does these, he goes all over the place and does these great workshops with people. And he always starts the workshop off asking them to sort of describe their favorite teacher. And what he's recognized over the years is that the description of the teacher changes from person to person. It's not someone who's doing student centered or who is, you know, not lecturing and doing project. The common thread of favorite teachers is that they bring themselves, that they're mm -hmm. authentic and that the, the students feel like they know them they know different sides of them. And so I think that's what you're getting at, right? Is that the student yeah. knew this wasn't just a social studies teacher, but she also does choreography and we do this play thing and she got up there on stage and did some silly dance move to get us started or something, right? Right, um, exactly. Which is that's like cool. super, super powerful. So absolutely. I lost my place in the interview brand. So I don't know okay. if it's you or me. Um, I'll be, I I'm going to be, speaking of vulnerable, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I think that you were going to ask Lisa about a challenge that she's had and how she overcame that challenge and what she learned from the experience. <laughs> I think I was. And if you want to answer that, Lisa, you certainly can. I've enjoyed the other conversation too. So don't feel like you yeah, have to definitely. answer that question. <laughs> Absolutely. A challenge. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like when I, when I think about the beginning of the pandemic specifically and how this fear that I had of the access gap to arts education widening by the pandemic, we had to think pretty bold about how we would overcome that. And, you know, mind you, at this moment in time, we thought this might last for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, maybe, right? Fast forward, we're a year into it. Um, so it even seems like in retrospect, it even seems a bit bolder what our, what our move was in terms of how we might respond to that challenge. But ultimately, we, we had developed a... Um, an immersive online theater education curriculum using The Lion King mm -hmm. that was bundled with a school's license to their own production of The Lion King. And we developed it, you know, like four or five years ago. And my team acted quick and they said, what if we removed the paywall from this, made it universally available to anyone who is at home learning right now? And what if we made some at-home learning modifications so that you didn't have to be in a classroom and having a teacher facilitate this. You could like do this from your living room. And we just worked nonstop and we figured that out and we made the case for it and we unlocked it. And it's still unlocked, it's still free. It's called the Lion King Experience. You can check it out at lionkingexperience.com. 
And we provide these at-home learning modifications for either um, students who are learning remotely or teachers who want to facilitate uh, via remote instruction. And it has just taken off, like in terms of who has access to it. It's, it's had more traffic than it's ever had since we developed the thing. Um, we, we had a, a teacher in a rural part of California reach out to us and say, you know, hey, this is a cool thing I want to do, but my, my students don't have reliable access to internet. Could I facilitate this over cable access TV? We're like, oh, wow. yes, let's figure this out. And so she like broadcast every day at 11 o'clock. It was crisscross applesauce, sit down in front of the TV and you get your theater class using the Lion King experience. So it was just this really cool way of seeing how we could take something that existed, think about who it was for differently, provide some key modifications. And it's just, it's become it's become a theater class where there were no, no theater classes previously in a way that was really exciting to see. Do you think that innovation is a function of the fact that you are a, a group or a population of creatives, right? As opposed to um, other places where it's a lot harder to move that needle. What do you think, what do you think some of the driving forces in that sort of movement, Lisa? It's a really great question. I think it is that my team specifically is very mission driven, right? Um, at the end of the day, when I'm building out my team, what I'm looking for is a sort of commonality of goal and a diversity of experience and background so that we are all moving in the same direction, but we're bringing new perspectives and skills to the conversation. So because we have that commonality of direction, there's never a question of if we should do this, it's always how we should do it, mm. which is what I love about this group of collaborators specifically, right? Yeah. And because of that, it's like, when you see something like this, you go, well, if we do this right, we could potentially like increase the number of kids who have access to theater during this horrible moment in time. Mm -hmm. Well, let's just figure out how to do it right. Right. So then the conversation immediately sort of skips three steps on, should we do it? Should we not? What's the risk? What's the benefit? It's just, well, obviously we should do this. Let's just figure out how. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate that. I think that working with creatives helps with the how a lot, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, but the, the commonality of direction and mission alignment, I think is essential. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. I, I wouldn't disagree with mission being important if I could, um, respectfully push back though. I wonder if you're underselling the culture that you create with those folks, because mm -hmm. it sounds to me like, one of the reasons perhaps you're able to get to the how-to so quickly is because they have the space and time and support of you. Um, I just, I think about other organizations. If I went around the room and asked them about mission, I think we would all have a similar response, mm. but the culture perhaps is making it feel very risky to talk about mm -hmm. a how that deviates from the current Path. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder. I'm just, I'm just speculating. I'm just curious. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I, I wonder, I wonder what they would say if you asked yeah. them, you know, yeah. um, I do feel like I, at least where I sit in my organization, I'm not afraid of failure. And I think yeah. that is a gift that a lot of people don't have mm -hmm. in their workplaces. Um, and I think that comes from an organization that values innovation and creativity to your point. So there may be something very cultural to it. Yeah. You know, I have, I have to ask that question, Lisa, because I tried We try to make this about belonging. So I had to figure out a way to wrap that in there somewhere. <laughs> I love it. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Lisa, you've done such a nice job sharing sort of 
uh, professionally how things have changed for you and, and lessons learned. And we would love to shift it to you a little bit more personally. So what are some things that you've learned about yourself, you know, through this time? I'm not going to say <laughs> other it. than your obvious <laughs> igloo building skills. We know that. <laughs> I don't know if I would call them skills because I'm looking at one sixteenth of a very large igloo that is melting <laughs> rapidly, but an attempt was made. Um, what have I learned about myself? The good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> I think, I think I've been able to identify, I don't know if it's I've learned, but like s- stared in the face a little bit more, mm. um, that I hold myself to impossibly high standards <laughs> and you, that that's sort <laughs> of worked okay before, mm. like in the before times, I could excel at school and I could excel at work and I could come home and excel at being a mom. But now there's no, there's no border and there's no compartmentalizing. And, and I sort of feel like to be vulnerable, I sort of feel like I'm like walking around with like a goldfish bowl that's like three quarters full of water. And if someone like comes and like just like holds a, a milk jug over it of water, it just like it doesn't take much for me just to like overflow and and I don't want to say fall apart, but sometimes fall apart, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and I think it comes down to um, sort of this like impossible level of standard that I have for myself, which I think I need to interrogate a little and and work on. So like that's one thing I've learned about myself is that for all the benefit of that, there's also some drawback to it when when everything is too much, um, it just becomes a little extra. What else have I learned in this time? Um, I have learned that I am an introvert that, that I can fake it. Like, like I, I play an extrovert on TV, but I'm actually (laughs) an introvert. And I knew that I, I knew that about myself, but like, do I miss people? Yes. Do I want to get back to, to see a Broadway show? A hundred percent. Do I miss mm-hmm. my family? Yes. Am I okay working from home? Completely. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's part of me that's like, this isn't, you know, it's, it's not as terrible as it has, as it might be for someone else who's like much more social than me that needs to be out in the world. Yeah. So I've learned that there's a benefit to sort of my introversion in times like this. I don't know if that answered your question. Those two things. Yeah, absolutely. you also had a re- you also really had a long you had a long commute too. So you're getting yes. you're getting back like I feel like half a day <laughs> by work. I'm getting back three home. hours a day, which is yeah. insane. Which is significant. Yeah. So but but think about that commute. I mean, I just remember talking with you during Hopkins days when you were just pounding at work on that commute. So it's like I just yeah. have this vision. She's like on the train. It's like darting from Westchester to New York City, and she's like me 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 on the laptop. <laughs> like how many articles can I write? How many pages can I crank out? Oh my gosh. I mean, talk about being so full, right? And that image of a goldfish bowl is so perfect. And I think we all have that sort of tenuous feeling right now of like just a push and you're done. And it's it. Yeah. It doesn't take much, right? It really doesn't. And I feel like I'm doing so much less now than I did before now that school's over. Mm. And yet I still feel almost more full and overwhelmed in, you know, in some ways. So it's been an interesting kind of experience. I think, especially for us coming off of the program, just in 2020, it was a weird time to defend, wasn't it? That was weird. Uh, I know. <laughs> yep. That was weird. <laughs> that was weird, but you're right. Like it didn't feel like we ever got the low because there was, 
there is yeah. a global crisis. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you need me, I'll be building an igloo. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> defend a dissertation. Now face the global crisis of a pandemic. You're ready. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Oh yeah. So. I think we're wrapping. Brianne's giving me the the signal there. Once again, I had lost my place because it's been such a great conversation. So Lisa, I want to thank you again for all, just an always amazing conversation. I'm, I'm never always sure where we're going and I always love where we go on our journey. So thank you for making the space and time for our conversation. And Brianne, thank you for your contributions. And thanks to our listeners who were hopefully paying attention and listening and still feeling okay after so many times of saying igloo I had to get it in there one more time so I hope everybody will you know listen to this podcast again and think about giving yourself some permission to take some time and space and even if you drop that fishbowl that goldfish bowl every once in a while realize that goldfish can survive in very little water so pick that that bowl back up and you will be okay so I am Carrie Borkowski with my co-host Brianne Roosley. So thank you so much. This has been another episode of Tell Me This. Take care. Under the glaciers of your last year. Someday searching for melodies. Pulling around in mountain streams. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.